All right, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read the text that we're going to talk through today, which is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. So if you have a Bible, flip to it. If not, it'll be, it'll be on the screen. Again, you don't have to read it with me. I'll read it to you. Here we go. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. Amen. Jesus, thank you for these truths. Father God, thank you that you fully know us. Thank you for the gift of spiritual gifts. Thank you for the, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promise of, of something ahead. Lord, thank you for the invitation into relationship with you. Thank you for the, this room full of people who are here because they are responding to an invitation from you for intimacy. And so as we meet here this morning, might this be a safe place? Might this be a place where, Holy Spirit, your voice is the loudest one in our heads? After a week of, of chaos and busyness and anxiety and fear, might the next hour be a, just an, an hour where we can just sit with you and we can listen and we can absorb and hear and meditate and then sing in response and worship. And Jesus, would you have your way? Mm. Thank you, Father God, for the gift of your word. Would you illuminate it and bring it to life for us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. You can have a seat. <clears throat> All right. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this looks like a pretty tricky text, right? If, if there's any of you who have done Bible studies or maybe you've preached a time or two, you probably look at this, you're like, dude, why are you preaching on this? <laughs> right? Like, and so even like if you Google, like if you get online and you Google 1 Corinthians 13, you often get like really pretty and like images that maybe look like this. Boom. You know, love is patient. Kind of like this is the stuff that we've been talking through this, right? Like it's pretty, it's ecstatic. Like whenever, or if you go into, in the U.S., they have Christian bookstores all over the place and they'll have like really pretty artwork with some of these things on it. And it's always the like, the things that are really clear, right? And are, and are really easy to teach. And then and so then I scrolled down, and there was another one. Oh, you know, little hearts on it. It's like, oh, love, right? First Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You go to a wedding. You hear some of it read. But here's what's interesting. Uh, that's just verses 4 to 8, right? And honestly, if you just remember, that's not even all of verse 8. That's love never fails. The first three words of verse 8. After that, it gets complicated, right? So they're like, hey, we're just going to put what's pretty on the screen. And so then I, I scrolled down thinking like, surely somebody has done some like artwork with verses eight to 12. Like, come on, like surely there's got to be something. And I couldn't find it, couldn't find it. So then I went back to the search and, and I just typed in first Corinthians 13, eight to 12. And like click images. Guess what popped up? Oh, hold on. Wait, 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 don't, wait, wait, pause. Sorry. I, I, I got ahead of myself. So this is the meat, right? And then the other one hit the next one. The other one's the end, right? The last verse, verse 13. We love this. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? Yeah, love. We love talking about love, and it's been, and it's good, and it's hard, right? Like, I don't want to downplay the conversation around love, but, but these things are, are typically, um, this is where you migrate to. Like, if you do a, a study on 1 Corinthians 13, this is always a part of the conversation. So again, so I went back to the top and I typed 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 to 12 and clicked images. And I can't make this up. This is what came up. 
confused church, all right? So I'm, I'm not exaggerating. There was a church that went through the Bible, and they're like, hey, we're going to pick the hard stuff, and we're just going to try to tackle it. Um, and so I, I just want you to know that we could spend three hours. I've, I brought a whiteboard, y'all. It's going to get intense, right? It's going to be fun. Like, we, we could spend three hours with this text and not quite wrestle all of the different questions and all of the different uh, nuances and all the fine details down. But what we're going to do is we are going to wrestle with it. And we're going to look at it, and we're going we're gonna to pull it apart, we're going to put it back together, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do and bring His Word to life in our hearts. All right? So I just want you to know, if you get confused, just elbow the person next to you and say, hey, dude, me too. It's fine. Um, but if, if there's something here that, that, that strikes a chord, that penetrates your heart, and you say, I want to know more, I have more questions, can we meet up, can we talk? The answer is yes, yes, yes. All right? So, are you ready? Are you excited? Woo! All right, here we go. All right, now, like I said, so this is, this is a tricky text. Can you put the text back up, Elijah? Um, it's, it's tricky, right? Like, there's, there are things in here that we often don't talk about on a Sunday morning. You often don't talk about in a, in a normal, like, you know, the, in a normal Bible study or whatever. But, um, but what Paul is, is getting at here, is it, what's interesting is he's, he's not trying to be confusing. And actually in the next chapter, he says, God is not a God of chaos, but a God of peace, right? And so if at any point you feel like you're in the middle of chaos, just pause and know that he's inviting you to peace. But for this, Paul is actually, he's, he's making a, a point that is made all the way from Genesis clear through Revelation. And, and it's, it's easy, like if you pull a piece out of a puzzle, right, and you look at it, you're like, I have no idea what this is. And then you put it in the puzzle, and you're like, oh, that was the wing of a dove on a branch, on a tree, on an island, in the lake. Right? You see what I'm saying? And so sometimes when you find a text that's difficult to wrestle with, there's this principle of like Bible study principle that the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. All right? And what I mean by that is if you read a text and you're like, I don't really understand this, instead of just Googling it, ask a friend or you like use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these things and we're going to look at what the Bible in its fullness has to say about it. Because the thing that he's really getting at here is that there is a there is a tension, there is a frustration when it comes to the relationship between our our current broken mess, right? Our current broken mess and the kingdom of God that Jesus brought to earth. Right? There's there's this like there's this separation. And I'm going to tell you a couple stories um, to kind of highlight this, right? So, so when Jesus came to earth, right, like, he literally opened blind eyes, yeah? Literally rose people from the dead, right? And so the things that the Old Testament pointed to about the Messiah, about the Savior, these supernatural things, Jesus said, heaven is now invading earth. Look out, Right? And so there was this expectation of supernatural things, right? However, you and I both know that we live in a really broken world. And not every person you pray for for healing gets healed. And growing up, I thought a prayer for healing was just kind of bogus. I'm like, come on, like, just take your medicine and stop whining, right? Like, but I was, when I was in seminary, a roommate and I were fasting for a, a chunk of time, and we were meditating on Isaiah 58. If, you're, if you've never done that, as you're, I, I would just encourage you, write it down, Isaiah 58, look it up, it's worth it. But in Isaiah 58, there's this, what seems like a promise, that when you fast, supernatural things happen, right? And it talks about how God brings 
put strength in your bones and and where there's dry places, there'll be springs of living water. And there's all these promises about things that happen as a result of people seeking after God. And so I'm just, every time I got hungry, I would go read that and I would meditate on it. I was like, this is, this is interesting. This is different. This is new. I've never really thought through this before. What does this look like? What does this look like? And about day four, I was super hungry. And a friend of mine sent me a text and said, hey, I don't know why I'm texting you but can you please come pray for my friend? And I was like, um, sure. So we went over after work, and I, I sat down, and, and what her backstory was that she was geared up to move from South Carolina to Southeast Asia somewhere um, as a missionary. She was going to go work in an orphanage, and it was going to be incredible. She had this incredible dream. God had called her to it. The money, everything was there. And then with two months left to go, she was diagnosed with lupus and she was put on a travel restriction. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? And so and then it was, it was, and I don't really know all the details, and, but her body was rigid. Like her, her joints couldn't, like she didn't have flexibility. Her muscles hurt all the time. And she just, and she had to wear a mask because of the autoimmune disease. Like, she couldn't get a cold. It might kill her, right? And so she was in a really, really hard space. So when I walked in, there was this girl who was the skinniest human I'd ever met. And I was like, what am I? You ever walk into a situation where you're like, you meant to call someone else, right? Like that's where I was. And so, but I just, I knelt down on the floor beside of her and the Lord just brought Isaiah 58 to my mind. I was like, interesting. And so I just, I had my Bible in my bag, and so I pulled it out, and I said, hey, before I pray, I just want to read this. And I just read it, and y'all, I don't have vocabulary in the English language to describe to you what it felt. It just felt like the Lord just went, and just sat in the room with us. And the presence of the Lord was so tangible, and then the Lord put words in my mouth and taught me how to pray this prayer of healing over her that I'd never even tried before. And I kind of ran out of words and was just like, whoa, what just happened, you know? And I look at her behind her mask and her eyes are like bugging out of her head. I'm like, oh no, like, did I squeeze her leg too tight? Like what happened, you know? And, and she, like, she like stands up. And she like starts doing this and she like starts doing deep squats. And she's like, what is happening? And she like starts walking around and she's like, um, did you guys want to go see a movie? <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I feel awesome. And I want to go watch a movie because I haven't been able to get in a car or go for a drive or do anything for months. And so I was like, I, so they went to see a movie. And then two weeks later, she went to see her doctor and they're like, oh, I guess we misdiagnosed you. You don't have lupus anymore right? And now she lives in somewhere in Southeast Asia running an orphanage, right? I know the look on your face was the look on my face. I was like, what is happening? So, so for me growing up, I love the maths because two plus two equals four, right? Always. When you multiply a positive number by a negative number, you get a negative number. Always. When you multiply anything by zero, it's always zero. Every time. I like things that work like that. So I applied that principle to this like healing prayer thing. And I was like, all right. I just read the passage, pray, and alakazam. Like this is going to happen, right? And I was so pumped. And I just was like, hey, I just started calling friends. Dude, are you sick? I think I can pray for you. And they're like, nah, I'm good. But you want to pray for my aunt? Sure, man. Let me pray for your aunt right now over the phone. Jesus, and you're in it, you know. And I was just going for it, you know? And we saw some really cool things, and it was, it was wild, but like, and so I, I just went through this season where I was like, God hears, God answers, he moves in the supernatural, party, right? A few years later, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine called me. He said, hey, man, um, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry, I've been busy. He's like, but hey, you have a minute. I was like, yeah, sure, what's up? He said, hey, um, 
you know, Katie's been sick, you know, things been going on. She's like, you just, we just got the diagnosis. Um, she has cancer. This is 13 year old girl. And like a fool, I said to him, well, I can't wait to see how God glorifies himself in this. Like I was so confident that God was going to heal this girl that I didn't take time to just be with my friend. I didn't take time to just say, dude, I'm sorry. And, and so we prayed and we fasted and we cried out and we did prayer vigils and prayer weeks and all night services. We did everything that I could find in this book. If, I, if it was okay to slaughter a bull, I might have slaughtered a bull, right? Like I, I looked through here and I was like, what do I do? What's the recipe? How do I make it happen? This has to happen. And then at one point, we, we got the news, cancer free. And we were like, we knew it. Woohoo. Two months later, cancer's back. And there's nothing that we can do. She has months. And I was like, okay, God, like you did it once, do it again, right? Like that's the song we sang, like do it again. And I, will you put the picture of the family up there? This is my friend Chad that I told you called me. And then um, Katie's in the middle in the hat. And this was the um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. In the U.S., there's a foundation that terminal cancer patients or terminal kids, they, they get a wish. I always wanted to whatever, before they, before they die. And so Katie's always wanted to go to Hawaii and swim with the dolphins. And so they took her. And she was, she, her fever was through the roof. They weren't sure she was going to make it back. But she swam with the dolphins. And then less than two weeks later, she passed away. And If you live in this world, you, you know that it's a broken place, right? And in, and in my pride and ego and, and idealistic view, I thought everything could be good. Like, no, no, no. People get healed all the time. But Katie didn't on this earth. I mean, she's having a party now, right? But we're left with the grief and the questions and the struggle. And that's hard. And there's this tension that exists between the reality of the kingdom of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the very, very broken world we live in. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in this text. Now, I told you I like maps and I like charts and lines and graphs and stuff. So bear with me if you don't. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? Welcome to theology class. All right. This is a timeline, okay? This is the present age where brokenness, sin, and death reign, right? After the fall, after Genesis happened, right? When sin entered the world, everything went to crap. Yeah? We agree. Now, there was also a promise that existed that came of, of a Messiah, of, of a Savior, of a, of, a, of a reality that this cycle can end, right? You understand that. The prophets, that was their message. Hey, get your stuff together, go back to God, and then hold on for the Messiah, right? That's the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, the first coming of Christ, and he, he enters the world, and he said, literally says, the kingdom of God is in your midst, right? And so this age to come, these this, this healing, this deliverance, this victory, this, this new hope 
was all of a sudden right in front of everybody. And you couldn't deny it, right? Like people were like, no, 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 my son was born blind. And now he's walking around. He never had eyeballs in his head. And there are eyeballs that are open and his, eye, his eyelids are blinking. That's healing, deliverance, victory. That's the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like when heaven invades earth. That's a party, right? And when I was in South Carolina and I prayed for that girl, and I was like, woo, healing, delivery, victory, deliverance, victory. Like, yes, the kingdom of God has come, right? But there's, the kingdom of God has been initiated. It has begun, but it will not be fulfilled or consummated until his second coming. All right, if you want a theology term, eschatology. Ta-da! I don't even know how to spell it. All right, but it's, it's, it's the study of, of what's to come, right, of the end. And there's this, there's this hope that we have as Christians as those who have put our faith in Christ, that he did not just come once, live and die and raise again, but he's coming back. And the mess that we see around is temporary. All right? Because this present age, the brokenness, the sin, the death, it will stop. Amen. There is a time where sin and cancer and brokenness will not reign. But right now, we live in this window. And if you want a phrase for it, it's the already, but not yet. And I don't know what those lyrics are doing on the screen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but I, so this is where we are. And Paul knew that, right? And he was writing to a people who didn't. He was writing to a people who were trying to figure it out. Okay, Jesus said that I can pray and he'll answer. Okay, but I prayed and he felt like he didn't answer. So now what? Okay, you, you told me, Paul, that, that there were spiritual gifts that are coming. And, and he can prophesy and I can't. So why not? All right, or hey, I heard him speaking in language. He didn't know, but he, he, was he speaking in tongues? Does he need to what What's happening, Paul? Right? So there's all of this confusion about what we do in the meantime. Right? Does this make sense? For the most part. Okay. So with this, is, I'm going to leave this here. The reason that um, I put this on a whiteboard is because I wanted it to be here while we look through the text. All right? So we're going to run through some passages. We're going to run through some things. But this is going to stay here. And I want you to know that this, what we're talking about, is wrestling with this it's this tension, this frustration that the kingdom of God is here and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we, are, we have already stepped into eternity. But when I smash my thumb with a hammer, I'm not thinking eternal thoughts, right? Can we, we, you're with me, yeah? All right. So let's, let's go back to the text. Let's just start picking through it. So verse eight, okay? Um, says, love never fails. Okay, that we could spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but check this out. God made Adam and Eve and loved them at the beginning. In their sin, he pursued them and loved them. It didn't fail then. All through the Old Testament, people ran from him, people ran hard, and he pursued them, and he loved them, and love didn't fail. Jesus came, faced the cross, and bore our sin. Love didn't fail there either. Then, guess what? He rose from the dead. Then he sent us the Holy Spirit. And now we live in this season where love continues to reign. Love, love, love. Love is from the beginning to the end eternal, right? Love never fails. Next week, we'll talk more about that. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. Okay. I have no idea where you stand on spiritual gifts, on the charismatic movement, on the Pentecostal movement, and the truth is it doesn't matter because it's in the Scripture, so we're going to wrestle with it, okay? Throughout my life, I have been all over the map on this issue, and my guess is you probably have too, 
You've probably had some great experiences and you probably had some really terrifying experiences. You've probably had people say really encouraging things to you that never happened. And you might have been manipulated. You might have been taken advantage of. And let me just say, I'm so sorry. This is not one of those attempts. All right. And the reason I'm not going to talk about prophecy and tongues and knowledge specifically, because Paul doesn't in this text. If you want to have that conversation, then read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 together, and then we'll sit down and have the conversation. Because he talks about it. He answers the questions. All right. But today, we're just going to talk about these as supernatural gifts, right? Um, as, as, as spiritual gifts. And it's interesting, and like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to just say four things that Paul says throughout his text. In, in 2 Timothy 1.6, he, he says to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So spiritual gifts are to be encouraged, right? Like, Paul says to Timothy, hey, there's spiritual gifts that are inside of you, so we're going to put our hands on you, we're going to pray, and we're going to trust the Lord to stir those up. He's encouraging the use of some type of supernatural spiritual gift, right? Spiritual gifts are also purposeful, right? 1 Corinthians 1.7 says that you may not be lacked. So this is Paul praying. The, the first chunk of this chapter is him praying over the Corinthian church. And he's praying that they may not be lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus. So check this out. So Paul says, hey, you're here. And this is coming. The revelation, the full reveal of the fullness of Jesus is going to be revealed. But between now and then, I pray that you would not lack any gift. So the gifts are purposeful while we wait for Jesus, for his second coming. You see that. All right. Third, spiritual gifts are to be desired. It is a not a bad thing to desire things. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, pursue love, right? So again, love's the focus, love's what it's all about. But while we're pursuing love, while we're building relationships, while we're having authentic connections, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's a whole other conversation, right? But Paul's saying it's good. You should want it. There's a Holy Spirit who's living and active, right? Acts 2, whammo, Holy Spirit fell on the earth, right? And he's begin. if you read through the book of Acts, he does some wild things, right? Now, and Paul says it's okay and it's good that you desire these things. Then, spiritual gifts are also temporary, Okay? This is, we just read this, right? In verse 10, it says, when the perfect comes, the partial or the imperfect will be done away. All right, so there's a little bit of disagreement about this within the theological circles, but here's the perfect, right? We're going to understand that as the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes in perfection, we will see him. And at that point, we won't need that anymore. We won't need spiritual gifts. We won't need prophecy. We won't need healing. We won't even need faith. Why do we need faith now? Because we can't see him, right? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, guess what? When Jesus comes, we'll see him. And we won't even need faith. We won't need hope. It will be right in front of us, right? Okay, so let's continue this conversation around temporary things. Because everything in here and this conversation that we're having today is about temporary things, the stuff that's in here. It's tricky, huh? It's hard. It's difficult. So we're going to look at a couple more texts. Hit the next slide for me, Elijah. Okay. In, yes, for we know in part, prophesying part. Next one. Okay. So in the next letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, anybody got an outer man that's decaying? Sore back, sore knee, right? All right, I'm with you. Me too. I get, I wake up the morning after I play frisbee, and I'm like, oh man, like I like have to like hobble down the hall to get the coffee. Um, okay, so we understand there's a part of us that's temporary, right? This flesh that we live in, temporary. But our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay? So just take a minute. Just look around. Just look around. Look at everybody. Look, at the, look outside of the grass. Listen to the kids yelling. Like, it's all temporary. There will be a time when everything that you see ceases to exist on this planet. Now, close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Just close your eyes and, and imagine, imagine the hands of Jesus before you with nail scars in them reaching out to embrace you. See, that is eternal. Imagine for a moment what it's going to be like when the Father sits down with you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is eternal. All right, you can open your eyes. Thank you. I think we spend so much of our life worrying about the things that we can see that we lose sight of the bigger picture. It's the things that are unseen that really matter. And if you've dated somebody, you know that. <laughs> right? Right? Come on. All right. Next, next one. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So it's just a continuation. So it says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So remember that, we'll get to verse 5 in a second. Remember that conversation that Jesus has with Peter, right? When, so Peter's like, all right, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, not on my watch, dude. I will follow you to the end. They, will, they can take my life and I'll still be with you. Like, they can't kill you. And Jesus is like, actually, um, you're going to deny me. Like, great heart, bad follow through. And that's been us, right? You've been there. Great heart, bad follow through. Part of our reality. But then Jesus, tur he turned the page. Jesus then looks at his disciples and he says, guys, it is a good thing for me to go. Because I am, because if, he says, there are many rooms in my father's house. Many, many spaces for you. And it is good for you that I go there because I am going to go prepare a place so that where I am, there you may also be. And what's interesting about this vocabulary in this culture uh, that Jesus was living in, that was very much the language of a wedding proposal, right? So a guy would say to a girl, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for us. And when it's ready, I'm going to come. And I'm gonna, we were going to be married, and it's going to be awesome, and then we're going to go to that place. But between now and then, I'm going to work day and night to make that place awesome. So right now, while we're apart, while we're separate, while it's difficult, know that I'm working on your behalf. Know that I love you. Know that I'm with you. Know that I cannot wait to come get you. And that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. I love you. I want to be with you, but it's better for you that I go. And when I'm gone, I'm going to be doing some really cool stuff. I'm going to build a house for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. And then once it's time, I'm going to come and I'm going to scoop you up and I'm going to show you everything I've made for you. And it's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, while I'm gone, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. While in the already but not yet, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you the Bible. I'm going to give you church. I'm going to give you friends. I'm going to help you endure in the meantime. But when I come, whoa, what a party that will be. Mm. Verse 5, he says, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now this is interesting. There's three different places in the New Testament where Paul uses this word pledge. 
And every time, it's, it's interesting because Paul's very spiritual in his writing, very whimsical. He's an incredible writer. But this is a, this is a financial term that's usually meant like for bankers and bookkeepers and tax collectors. What this, this is, the, the more literal translation is a down payment, right? So it's, it's a piece, a, a portion of the full cost, right? Like when I, you go to buy a car, you say, hey, here's 250,000 kwacha. The car's mine. It's good. And then I'm going to bring the rest of the payment later, right? And then once, then it'll be great. The Holy Spirit, now get this. This is what's crazy. The Holy Spirit that we've received is the fullness of God. It's the fullness of God that we can experience here. But there's going to be a time when we receive the perfect fullness, the entire fullness. The, 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 the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge, as a down payment, is a promise that there is more to come. Does that make sense? That there is more to come. So the goodness of God, the fact that he does heal, the fact that there are spiritual gifts of prophecy and healing and these things, like that is just a window. It's just a taste. It's just a little bit of what the age to come is going to be like, right? Okay, let's keep going. So, so he says in verse 10 of chapter 13, he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Okay, again, everything we're talking about here, spiritual gifts, the whole, all of that is partial, temporary, and there's going to be a time when it goes away. And again, we talked about it a second ago, but why will it go away? Because we don't need it. There's a friend of mine, Andrew, oh, not a friend, I wish he was my friend, one of my favorite musicians. His name's Andrew Peterson. You ever do that? You're like, we're friends, right? Listen to his music. Um, so, so he has a song called No More Faith. I was like, that's a weird song title for a Christian, right? But he was singing about the age to come, about after Christ returns, and we can see him and touch him and smell him and share, share a meal with him. Because then there's no more need for faith. I don't have to hope because he's there. He's with us, and it will be incredible. I don't know how much you think about the second coming of Christ. I don't know how much you think about heaven. I don't know how much you think about eternity. But let me just say that the, your perspective on heaven and eternity will absolutely transform your life and your relationships in the now. Yeah? We'll come back to that. I'll say that a couple more times, I think. <laughs> okay, verse 11. Now, this is interesting. So he just kind of throws this in. Verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, some of you have kids, and you know exactly what he's talking about, right? I have a four-year-old. She's amazing, and she's wildly selfish, right? Like a kid's brain, they are the center of the universe. They are. And if you, I, I made a few lists here because this is just so interesting. Here's the thing about kids. Zero emotional intelligence, right? They have no ability to even to experience or express emotion. It's just, right? And if you have a kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and my kid, who's amazing and awesome, like when she gets overwhelmed, she just lays and goes, nah, nah, nah. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, use words. But the reality is, she doesn't have words to express what is going on inside of her. And there's a lot of times when you and I, spiritually, are the exact same way. We just try to open our Bible and we go, yeah. right? We do it because we don't have the emotional intelligence. We don't have vocabulary to articulate how we feel. I went to a friend of my pastor friend of mine, and he said, man, how are you? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm all over the map. I have no idea how I'm doing. He's like, oh, you should read the book of Psalms. I was like, okay. Like, is that just like your automatic response? And he's like, well, anytime 
I don't have vocabulary for what I'm going through, somebody in the book of Psalms does. He said, and this is, he said the, the book of Psalms is the diagnostic tool for the soul. And so if you're at a spot where you kind of feel like a, a child spiritually, and you're just going, yeah, and you have no idea how to interact with God, I challenge you, pick up this book of Psalms and just start reading through it. And my guess is in the first few chapters, you'll go, whoa, that's exactly how I feel. Wow. I didn't realize I'm not the only person that's ever felt like that. And that guy wrote part of the Bible, <laughs> right? Okay, sorry. The other thing about kids is it's some of the first words kids say are me, mine, I want, right? It's so, it's all, they are the center of the universe. It's all about them. But here's the thing. In this era, in this season, there is a goal that Paul is giving us here of, of maturity. There is a goal of growing up, right? And I think it's a little bit of like a scold from Paul and a little bit of hope, right? Because I think sometimes you feel stuck. And so for those of you who feel stuck, this is this is word of hope. Like there can be a season where you put away childish things, right? Like the things that you're experiencing that make you feel like a child, you don't have to stay there. Like you can be transformed. You can grow, right? And here's the reality. If, if let me just ask this question. If you, if you look back on the last two or three years of your life, how would you say Jesus has transformed you? You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to turn to your neighbor or anything. But how are you different? How do you think differently? How do you speak differently? How do you reason differently? How do you interact with the world differently? And if your answer is, no, nah, I'm kind of the same old, same old, then maybe you have some growing up to do. I, I think that's what Paul's getting at. And there's definitely been seasons in my life where I look back at the last couple of years and I go, oh, I've just been on like cruise control. And I don't think it's a mistake that this comment by Paul is smack in the middle of conversations about spiritual realities. Because my guess is, uh, I'm not going to guess for you. I apologize. For me, my experience has been when I flatline, when I am not doing spiritually well, when I am drifting and not pursuing God, when I am drifting, it's because I have stopped believing truths about who God is. I have just been surrounded by the mess of this world, and I have been completely disconnected from the promises of God. Okay? And so I, there, are, there are declarations in the word that, that God wants to speak over you. There are truths that he wants to speak over you that will, will grow you into a mature person, a mature ring, right? There's not like this like level you get to and you're like, well, I'm transformed. Thanks, Jesus, right? Like that doesn't exist on this side of heaven. Okay, last verse, verse 12. Here we go. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have been fully known. See, in the, in the first century, they didn't make a lot of mirrors out of glass. It was all polished metal, right? So you had to, get really, had to polish the metal really hard and get really close because it was dim. So that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying that when we look at God, when we try to understand God, it's foggy at best. But... There is coming a day, there is coming a time where doubts, questions, fears, anxieties will all be dealt with, will all be done away with, because Jesus is coming back to deal with the stuff that you can't do, right? Like, that's good news, y'all. Like, that's exciting news that there is Here's the other thing that's reality, right? So the last part of that, he says, but then, then being the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes, then, 
then I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. Okay, now let me ask you this question. Is there anything about you that God doesn't know? No, right? God knows every hair on your head. He knows the number of hairs on your head, numbers of hair on your toes. He knows you, all of you. And what Paul is saying is that there is a time coming when as well as God knows you now, you will know him. Do you get that? Like the, the mystery that is heaven right now. When you look at God and you go, I don't, I don't get it. You'll never have to say, I don't get it again. Heaven is a place. Heaven is an experience where we are in the presence of God continuously. Fear, doubt, worry, nighttime. If you read Revelation 22, it says there will be no night because the glory of God is going to be bright, the, the bright morning star. We will be with him. And that should... Oh, man. All right, First John. First John, chapter 3. He says this. He says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and is not appeared... As yet what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. See, there's all kinds of language throughout the Bible where when people tried to see God, he would, there, were, there was a veil, there was a, he, would put, like, he, he hid Moses in like, this crevice of a rock, and he only let Moses see like, his back as he walked by him. There's all these descriptions of how people get like glimpses, little tiny windows into what God looks like. But John says, and God the Father promises us that there is, a, there is coming a time where we don't have to guess what he looks like. We don't have to guess what he smells like. We don't have to guess what his embrace feels like because he will be right there. And when we see him, we will be we will be like him. Not like not that we become a God, but that we we are we are made perfect, we are made whole, we are made complete. Brokenness done, sin done, death done, cancer, disease done. That day is coming. And now part of our maturing, part of our growing is doing our best to get as clear of picture of Jesus as possible. I want to remove anything out of my way that's going to prevent me from having a clear picture of Jesus. I want to be in the Word. I want to, in, I want to ingest the Word. I want to be transformed into the man of God that He's calling me to be on this earth. And the only way I can do that is by beholding Him. When I see Him... I become more like him. So I don't know how much time you spend in, in prayer and meditation, but just imagine, just do this for me this week. Just sit and just try to imagine, Jesus, I just want to see you. If Psalm 34, David, or Psalm 37, I think, David says, I just want one thing. I just want one thing. I don't want, I don't want military victories. I don't want a, a palace. I want to be able to meditate in your temple and to gaze on your beauty. See, David thought God was beautiful. If you're going to list five things that you think God is, is beautiful one of them? See, David spent time meditating and beholding and worshiping. And that, he was a new, God said about David that he was a man after God's own heart. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want you to be a woman after God's own heart. Because that's where transformation happens. That's where maturity happens. That's when we put away childish things and we go, I just want you. All right. Um, Elijah, just go to the quote, the slide with the quote on it. 
I was going to talk about some revelation stuff, but I don't think we have time. <laughs> um, is there, there's a slide with a quote, huh? Yeah, perfect. All right, if you can't read this, I'll read it to you. This is C.S. Lewis, by the way, so it's a credible, credible source. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is only since Christians that who have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. If you aim at heaven, you get the earth thrown in. If you aim at the earth, you'll get neither. If you've never read the book Mere Christianity, I encourage you to. It will kick your butt all over the place. Um, and it will challenge you to grow up. I think there's a lot of us like me, that want things to be formulaic. We want things to be 2 plus 2 equals 4. I pray for healing, you get healed. I do this, God does that. Cause and effect, right? That's the way, that's the what we want to live in. But that's not our reality. And there's some of you that aren't ready to face that. There's some of you that don't know how to handle that. And I think the invitation to you this morning is very simply, grow up. <laughs> There's some of us, and again, myself included, who have some childish ways, some selfish inclinations that we need to put aside. Not, not so God can use you more, not so you can be more holy. Not so you can be a better person. But because he's worthy. He's worthy of your absolute best. He is worthy of your most, of your everything. Guys, there's so much to say <laughs> about this. And I would love to continue the conversation. And I know there's others in the room who would do the same. If, if something we talked about this morning stroke, struck a chord, or maybe your heart is feeling a little pricked, um, don't leave without scheduling a conversation. Um, so I have some next steps for you. I have some, some other hard questions to ask you. And the first one is not so much a question as it is a challenge. is to remember that we live in the tension and frustration of the already but not yet. We have already been made whole. We have already been made pure. We've already been made right with God. But we have not yet been made perfect. That's just a hard thing to wrestle with. And the second thing I want you to ask the Lord, the first thing I want you to ask, I just want you to sit down and schedule at least 30 minutes, minimum 30 minutes, to sit with the Lord and ask him, what are some childish or selfish ways in me that need put away? And again, not, not because you're a terrible person, not because you're trying to be better, but because he's worthy. He is worth it. And he promised, yeah, anyways, I don't want to get going. All right. Number three. How does the age to come, right, this, this reality of heaven, this reality of the kingdom of God, how does it affect my relationships in this present age? And the, the answer, I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is that it instills in you grace upon grace. Okay, and here's what I mean. 
when we understand that hurting people hurt people and broken people try to break people, it's a whole lot easier to handle when somebody says a strong word to you. And when you know that everything that somebody says to you, insults and all, it's temporary, there's going to be a time when the only thing, the only words spoken to you will be love and gentleness and kindness and words of affirmation and words of, of let's do this together and words from the Father. So this reality should absolutely change the way you interact with people. Absolutely change the way you interact with people. And as we continue to look forward to Easter, what's one thing that you can do to see Jesus more clearly? Maybe there's, maybe there's a, you, you've got a, a Netflix series that you're watching right now, and you spend about four hours a day on it. But what if between now and Easter, you just put Netflix aside? What if there's a, a magazine that you love reading, or there's a news outlet that you love following, and you spend hours and hours just soaking it in? What would your life look like if you chose to soak in Scripture? If you chose to soak in worship? If you, just, if you need some good worship music, let us know. We can just hook you up because... Your attitude behind the wheel, well, ab it is hard to yell at somebody when you're singing hallelujah, right? Come on. Like, it just is. When you are, when you are worshiping God, your heart engages in it. And then when somebody cuts you off, it's like, man, God bless you. Get to where you're going in a hurry, right? Like, it's different. I mean, my life would be so much better if I didn't get angry when I drove the car. Seriously, right? I mean, what if I gave up anger for Lent? Maybe I should do that. Um, all right. So, so here's the recommendation. If you've not jumped in to the devotional that we're doing, that the that the the church has kind of said, hey, let's try to do this together. If you have if you have a, a smartphone, you can get the U version app, and I think we can probably get you a hard copy. If you don't have a smartphone and you want one, we can probably get you a hard copy um, to to walk around with, but just jump in. Spend five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day with Jesus for a month. Your life will look radically different. This is our reality. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more we're going to be like him. And your life will be awesome. Like, people are going to walk up to you and go, hey, dude, what? I want some of that. <laughs> Whatever that is. I know this was tricky. I know it was heavy. I know it was a lot. Um, there's so much more to say on this. But I want you to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have a father who loves you with an undying love who knows every hair on your head and who promises to send his son to come get you. <laughs> Death will be done. Disease, cancer will be finished. And it will be a party. And there are some days that the only good thing about my day is looking forward to that party. That's just the reality we live in. So part of our task as a community when we have a hard day is to sit with your friend and say, yes, that was really hard. I can't wait till we don't have to do that anymore. I can't wait till we don't have to endure that anymore. Because Jesus is coming. And it's going to be awesome. I'm going to pray. We'll leave these questions up there. And then um, the, the, the worship team is just going to give you a minute to reflect. And just to pause, to soak it in, and maybe to ask them, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you with clarity. So, Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the reality of the already but not yet. Thank you for 
the promise of your presence in the midst of it. Thank you that you promised to be with us. And thank you, Jesus, thank you that you're coming again. And that there's going to be a day when death will not have the final say, where sickness will not have the final say, where we will walk pure, free, absolutely victorious, arm in arm with you. Jesus, I can't wait for that day. Mm. And until then, give us endurance. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the ability to trust you with everything we have. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen.